Hello, and welcome to the Fan America podcast. I'm your host, Mark Pajarski, and you're listening to a podcast that's all about you, the American soccer fan. episode of the fan america podcast new music new episode that's how you know it's going to be good this week we are back with a very special very uh, international episode we get to interview u.s national team fan living abroad matt Koss. matt is a national team fan and a marseille fan living in austria this conversation is wildly entertaining. Matt is a massive Breck Shea fan and Jordan Morris fan and we get to go into what it's like to be a national team fan living abroad. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Matt. All right everybody, I want to welcome to the show Matt Koss. Matt is uh, a fan of a few mutual podcasts and uh, he reached out to me uh, through Reddit to see if uh, uh, he could come on the show, and I was very happy uh, that he did so. So welcome to the show, Matt, and uh, if you would, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, thanks, Mark. So yeah, I'm Matt, um, as you already know, and I was actually born in the United States, now I am living in Austria, but I have not changed my fandom from the U.S. men's national team. I still support them over the Austrian team. Uh, not that they ever play each other, of course. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been a soccer player myself since I'm six years old. I made the difficult decision to focus a little bit more on track starting in high school because I think that's kind of where I found more success and ended up running a division one track and cross country in college. But um, soccer has always been a huge part of my life. And I've been a sweeper since I was about seven years old. My father was actually the coach of my six year old soccer team put me at goalie. And until he realized that was one of the worst decisions of his life. I am terrible with my hands. I'm also extremely short, so I would have been a terrible goalie anyway, but a uh, sweeper was a good position for me. And yeah, I'm sure you'll figure out soon, but I am a little bit weird in my fandoms. I live in Austria. I lived in the United States, but my favorite club team is Olympique de Marseille. My favorite soccer player is <laughs> Breck Shea. It still is. Um, it has been since I've been a kid. And um my other, let's say, alternative is uh, Jordan Morris, and so happy that he's called up for this recent camp, and I'm really hoping he finds a spot on the U.S. men's national team going forward. But yeah, that's a little introduction of me, and let's hop into some discussion together, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. This is a very fascinating uh, little bit of information there is that you, you, 
you played sweeper do you do you still play even like recreationally or are your your soccer playing days over so i played i basically i played nonstop from six to right when corona started and then since corona has been going on i haven't been on a team it's been really difficult obviously for everybody but um yeah i mean for years i played soccer and i always just kind of assumed the role of sweeper because nobody else wants to play it and i got good at it and (laughs) so even while i was in college i wasn't telling my coach but i was playing on a club team they they didn't want me doing that but you know i i can't give up soccer it's it's really the sport of my dreams yeah so you said um play sweeper now that's a position that you don't see a whole lot anymore um yeah. explain explain what that position is for those who may not know and why yeah sure so it. so nowadays i would say the most common formation is the 442 and usually what you'll have with the 442 is you'll have the two center backs you'll have the left back and the right back and um what a sweeper basically is, is instead of playing two center backs, you will play one in back, who is the sweeper. You'll play one in front, who is the stopper. And then you'll play one on either side. So the the left back in the right back. And the role basically of the sweeper is to be the last man before the goalie and kind of to support, in essence, the right and left back, but also just to make sure nobody's getting by you. And uh, the stopper is the one that's trying to, he's kind of like the outpost almost. Like he's trying to stop the ball before it even gets to me. But if it does get through him, it's my role to be that last guy before it gets to the goalie. Now, the, let's say unforgiving part of being (laughs) a stopper is a sweeper my bad is everybody blames the sweeper for the goals and nobody blames the goalie for the goals so if i let anybody by it's my fault and it's not the goalie's fault Um, but if i do something good nobody really realizes any anyway and i've always assumed that role i've i'm a bass player too in bands Nobody notices the bass player. Nobody notices when I play well, but when I accidentally make a mistake, everyone notices. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, that's, that's kind, kind of, of a the, uh, the nature of a defender is your. Uh, it's kind of like being a lineman in American football. Like nobody really notices how important you are or what you do until you make a mistake. <laughs> so yep. I feel that. Yep. Yeah, the sweeper. <laughs> it's a. It's an interesting position. I, I would say growing up. I played something similar to that, um, and I played it like the lowest of low levels. It was not a competitive league, but um, it's a it's an interesting position because for the longest time it was a very like popular, very successful form of uh, of setting up a defense, uh, popularized by like Irigo Irigo <laughs> uh, Saki. Uh, that's a tough one to say. And his AC Milan <laughs> teams back in the day, that Catanaccio, like you had the one guy who was there that was the last line of defense. But you yeah. know, his, his team started getting faster and better at playing over the top. The offside rule changed, and it just kind of fell out of fashion. But I uh, I have fondness uh, for the position because it's, it's high risk, high reward, and uh, 
it really puts you at the center of, of the action, especially if you're not on a very good team. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know, another difficult part about being sweeper is you are, because you are the last man, it sounds stupid, but it's easy to get caught ball watching. Uh, because Absolutely. you see every single player on the other team and on your team in front of you, except for your goalie. And so you really need to make sure that you're constantly assessing your position and assessing the position of the other defenders around you and not just to get caught up in, uh, you know, where the ball is, but rather where every, all the players are generally situated on the pitch. Because again, you, you are the last guy. So you have to win you know, the, the foot races, you have to make sure, you know, the, the other team isn't in a position to go a two on one on you, because as soon as it's two on one, I mean, your chances are getting pretty slim. So it's a, yeah, very interesting position. Definitely like it. Yeah. Takes a very versatile player. And this will be my really uh, terrible transition into the next part of our interview here. <laughs> Takes a very versatile player to play sweeper. Versatile players, Austria, David Alaba. Uh, yes. There's the transition. So, uh, Matt, you, you said you currently live in Austria. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what brought you there and what what is the soccer scene like in the area that you're at there in Austria? Yeah, so a couple years ago, I made the decision that, you know, I just, I really have always liked the European lifestyle. I like the mix of cultures over there. Um, I like the soccer culture over there for one is a, is a big reason. Uh, sounds stupid, but you know, uh, when you really love something like you love soccer, you want to be in on the action. And that's one big drawing factor for me for Europe. Um, but you know, just the, the mix of cultures, the more laid back lifestyle, uh, for example, a fun fact about Austria, um, a, let's say, let's see how I would put this, the combination of mandatory days off from a company, as well as government holidays is the highest in the world. So we get 36 days off a year, which is uh, <laughs> quite the difference to the 10 I was wow. getting in the United States when I moved. Um, so, you know, it just, there's a lot more laid back of a feel over there. And those are kind of the three reasons why I decided to move to Austria. And ever since I've been there, you know, I've been actually the initial reason was to study my master's. I'm doing a international business administration, but, uh, really fell in love with the country. I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in Austria, move to Germany, maybe to France, um, kind of the three countries I was targeting, but Austria has done nothing to turn me off. <laughs> um, it's, it's only done things to um, attract me more. And I, you know, I think I'd like to stay in Austria and um, order my yearly U.S. men's national team jersey to keep my fandom, there get it go. shipped over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good segue then. So uh, when we were originally emailing about about coming on the show you you talked a lot about the men's national team the u.s men's national team fandom being a pretty uh, foundational part of your fandom so so tell me a little bit about your first uh experiences with the national team uh what really kind of hooked you sure so 
I guess right now would be a good moment just to give away my birth year, just to put things into perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was born in 1995. And that meant that for the 2002 World Cup, I was still a little bit young. Um, I was only, you know, seven years old. Uh, in fact, not even that. I was still six because of, you know, the month that I was born in 95. So I didn't really get to experience that World Cup. But the first one I did was 2006. So my first memories are kind of, you know, my heroes were, let's say, Tim Howard, um, Eddie Johnson, Landon Donovan, Beasley. I was a huge Beasley fan uh, because, you know, of him going from forward to defense, I just thought was the coolest thing. And his career in general, just so long. <laughs> what a nice guy, too. He just seems like just the greatest guy to be friends with. I would, I would, but anyway, that's besides the point. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the first World Cup I really experienced. And I remember skipping school, faking sick for a whole week so that I could watch the entire group stage of the World Cup. Uh, my dad was in on it. My mom wasn't. She wouldn't have let me, but my dad was like, Matt, you should just you should just fake a cough. You know, I had asthma as a kid. So I so I just faked having a really bad asthma for a week so I could watch the World Cup, you know? Um and at the time I was a biggest fan of the US men's national team and Italy. So for one, I'm not. I'm sure you remember the match with all the red cards. Just a total bizarre, oh, yeah. super bizarre match for me. Um, and it was sad, you know, that U.S. men's national team lost. But hey, at least my other alternative, Italy, won. Don't ask me why I was an Italy fan. I have no clue. I just, I just was. I liked their defense. That was one thing. But yeah. I was a huge uh, Francesco Totti fan as well Absolutely. as a kid. So. It was cool to watch him kind of in his last, you know, big Italy moment, um, even though he had the kind of controversial PK against uh, Australia and whatnot. But we won't get into that. Italy won. I was happy about it. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of my first uh, big U.S. men's national team introduction, let's say, and the team that I started to get to know with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the 2002-2006 World Cups, specifically the, the 06 World Cup, being kind of that uh, moment where the team grabbed you. Um, what do you remember, uh, I guess, from uh, that, that, that World Cup and the U.S. national team's performances that, that made you think, like, I can actually like, really get behind this team? Was there, a, either, was there a moment or was there a specific player that just really really grabbed you yeah i mean to be honest i think the 2006 world cup was me almost just getting to know the team i didn't watch any u.s soccer before that world cup and right when the world cup started you know when you kind of start to learn a team at first you're not quite as let's say i couldn't put my hand on who had the ball ever you know, I would be like, oh, it's that guy again. I, I remember him. Oh, yeah, um, Beasley. No, Beasley. That's right. Yeah, uh, Beasley. Um, or, you know, oh, it's Donovan again. Or, you know, of course I would recognize the goalie because there's only one goalie. But most of the field players, I had a little bit more difficulty because I was still getting to know the team. Right after the 2006 World Cup was really when I started to 
enjoy you know the the matches more to really start to get to know every player more and i'm just gonna say it right now i'm a huge um coach bradley fan i i really really enjoyed coach bradley thought he was a great coach for us both before and after his uh, career with the united states i've I've enjoyed him. I think he was a great club cup, club coach as well. Um, of course, his son turned into a hero and then a massive controversy for the team. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's kind of a weird career that he's had, uh, to be honest. I, I think he gets a lot of undeserved hate. I think it's just a player that, you know, I, I mean, he gives his best. He, he can only do his best and people hate on him, but really it's, people shouldn't be hating on the player Bradley. People should be hating on everybody else that hasn't stepped up to fulfill his role or the coach that is choosing Bradley to play his role, but definitely was a big Bradley fan. Um, But yeah, I would say kind of starting 2007 is when I really started watching every U S men's national team match. Um, My favorite player kind of, like I said, for a while was uh, Beasley. And then, and then, um, as you guys know, um, as I already announced at the beginning of the podcast, uh, at a certain point, turned into Breck Shea. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah see, this is an interesting topic here because Breck Shea is uh, maybe not to the level of Michael Bradley controversy, but is a player that has certainly divided opinion among national team fans. So I'm curious to know what about Breck Shea and his his time with the national team or, or even his club sides that, that made him the player for you? So the first thing that really caught my attention about Brekshe was his MLS appearances. So I was never a big MLS guy. I was more of a Serie A guy. I was more of a Ligue 1 guy. Um, never really was into the Premier League as much, but uh, you know, I had I had heard of this guy at FC Dallas, and there were rumors that he was going to get one of the historical transfers over to England. And I started to watch him, and I mean, he really was for a while the next Freddie Adu. And I I know that's it in a way it's kind of a huge statement I just made, but at the same time, you know, people were thinking Breck Shea is like the next superstar American player, but, you know, unfortunately, and I'll be completely honest, I mean, he never (laughs) lived up to his expectations, not even close. And of course, I admit that. I'm not going to claim that Brekshe is, you know, he's ripped off that he's not playing for the U.S. men's national team right now or anything. I mean, he he never lived up to his reputation, but, you know, I I really did discover Brekshe and I thought, what a weird but kind of interesting personality he's into like painting um he's you know he's he's into all this weird stuff uh he's has a massive left foot he's super fast he styles his hair differently all the time um it just kind of a weird guy but at the same time was a really talented soccer player who you know unfortunately i think a combination of two things one kind of just his one style of game that he never really changed, but also his injuries. Um, he just never really lived up to the 
expectations that people kind of had of him. And he would have these super exciting moments and just fantastic runs, fantastic goals. But it was just followed up by all these just not even mediocre, but just terrible matches, which, you know, it if he was just more consistent in having his good matches when he had great matches, he'd still be playing for the U.S. men's national team. But he is probably one of the most frustrating people to be a fan of just because <laughs> of in, his inconsistency and his moments of brilliance followed by just moments where it's like, how is this guy even paid to play soccer? Yeah. You know, so I'll be honest, you know, being a Breck Shea fan, I, like I, I think there's moments where he is just a terrible player. But I also think there's moments where it's like, wow, if he could just keep doing that, I mean, he would make the U.S. men's national team again. And I and I get this false hope. Like when he went over to Vancouver and he started playing defender more. Uh, in fact, he started that at Orlando. When he came back to the MLS, I thought, wow, he's actually developing into a great defender. What a great experiment. He's going to be the next to Marcus Beasley. But then it just never really worked out. And uh, it's just been kind of, both for him and for me, kind of just this sad career, you know? Yeah, yeah his his career certainly is an interesting one because, like you said, he's he moves from FC Dallas, gets you know to Stoke City, and and it the there's this belief that he's gonna be the next big player, you know, the next like yeah. Stu Holden or the next. You know, Taylor Twelman, kind of like American who probably could have gone abroad or did go abroad and wouldn't, you know, look like a complete shamble. But uh, he, he, you're right, he never really does live up to that expectation. Only spends a couple seasons in England before coming back to MLS. But I think he's an interesting one because he kind of represents this lost generation of American young talent. You know, there's this gap between the the Donovans and the Dempsey's and then like what we're seeing now with players like Pulisic and, and Gio Reyna. Um, and, and I mean, and a little bit before them. So like the Michael Bradley's and the Graham Zussi's and, and some of those players who, who never had the same amount of like shimmer and excitement about them. But like, there's just, it seems like right now is kind of a golden era for us youngsters. Cause we just, you got so many out playing in Europe and, and breaking through. And, and it was like, at that point it was just Breck Shea and it was just yeah. like, who else is even around? <laughs> I, yeah. I think it's funny. Breck Shea is such a fascinating player because, um, he really did, like you said, have moments of just sheer brilliance followed by, what the heck are you doing, man? And that's personified by the fact that, like, that, I don't know, it was 2000 and maybe 12 or 13 or something. And it was, I, I don't know, I think it was against like Costa Rica. He gets this random call up and he yep. scores this beautiful left footed free kick, ends up being the yep. winner for the United States. And mm-hmm. I want to say, like, legitimately in the next game, he's like, in the wall trying to block a free kick and just gets pegged in the face and like breaks his nose and has to come off the field. And it's like, that's nothing against Breck Shea, but like it was just the perfect encapsulation of this man's career, a moment oh, exactly, of sheer exactly. brilliance and then followed by like injury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And um, I don't know if you remember a 2013 gold cup. Um, he had a couple 
moments with uh, Landon Donovan where Landon just gave him perfect assists. And, but his goals are just, you know, bizarre. Like, you know, Brexhay's whole thing, he's fast. He's really fast. He has a great left foot, but that's about it. And like I said, you know, he got, if there's such a thing as typecast in soccer, that's what he was. I mean, that was him, you know, no left foot or sorry, no right foot. And uh, he was just really fast. Uh, but, you know, oftentimes, I mean, he couldn't dribble. He, he can't dribble at all, but just every now and then he'll just be able to dribble straight, straight ahead and just get a goal somehow. And that's what both of his huge goals were in the semis and the finals of the Gold Cup. He just basically sprinted in a straight line, dribbled in a straight line and got a goal, you know, and uh, they were just so typical Brexhay moments. Everything that he does is a typical Brexhay moment. And uh, it's just, I think part of the reason why I still like watching him so much is just because every moment, whether it's a, a moment of like, like you say, brilliance or just an absolutely horrible moment is exciting to watch just because it's so Brexhay. There's nobody that's like him. Just every time yeah. the ball touches him, he does some sort of Brexhay thing, you know? Yeah. 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 It's uh, yeah. For every like fast breakaway kind of dribble there's a, another one where he just like knocks the ball out of bounds or you know doesn't get his foot on a, a simple sideways pass and it just rolls out of bounds so it's just he's a fascinating player uh so so you so you also said now um a more relevant national team player that you uh are a fan of is jordan morris uh, yes. what what about jordan morris really attracted you to him it's actually hard to put my finger on. And I was trying to think of it before the podcast, um, why I kind of uh, fell in love with uh, Jordan Morris uh, when I could say that. Um, you know, I think his work ethic is probably what I like the most about Jordan Morris. I, I just feel like he's such a freaking hard worker. And I don't think he has as much natural talent as a lot of these guys that are on the national team nowadays, but I think you can just see his effort every play and super fast, right? And everybody knew, oh, he has no left foot, but look what he developed, his left foot. I mean, he's been scoring goal well before his injury, but he's, you know, hopefully he's back for a while now. But, you know, right before his injury, he really started getting good at scoring goals with his left foot. Um, he was criticized for his positioning, and look what he did. He really, really practiced at his positioning. So he's not just a fast guy anymore. He can do holdups. He can he can do a lot of different things that he couldn't do at the beginning when, you know, when he was playing college, being fast is pretty much all he needed to have a great college career. But, you know, once he turned pro, of course, you got to change that. And I think really, honestly, just the work ethic combined with his really likable personality just seems like a great guy in general um i think is the reason why i really like morris and uh watching him play at seattle with dempsey was also really fun it seemed like dempsey was kind of like the father figure and uh <laughs> you know and of course everybody's got to like dempsey if you're a u.s men's national oh, fan yeah. um and yeah, I would, I would say that's probably the reason why. I can't remember a specific moment when I was like, oh yeah, he's, you know, my favorite. Take it back. I know I'm rambling here, but I remember the moment. 
And it was uh, when he scored the goal against uh, Mexico at uh, Azteca. And I'm sure you remember the exact goal I'm talking about. And uh, that was a huge moment for everybody and a huge moment for him. So I think that was the moment where I decided, man, I really, really like this guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, It's funny when you, when you emailed me that, you know, your two favorite national team players were, you know, Breck Shea and Jordan Morris. I thought, well, that's interesting. But, but the more I think about it, the more I think those players are kind of the, the mirror image of each other. Like both mm-hmm. supremely talented, quick, pacey players, one-footed, but the difference being Jordan Morris was the guy who kind of had the work ethic, and yep. I think a lot yep. of that is because he he kind of had to prove that he deserved to be in the national team. You know, Klinsman picks him out of Stanford and gives him you know national team caps and games, and nobody's ever heard of this kid. And I think part of Breck Shea's issue is that, like we said, he was kind of the one one player from this lost generation and maybe just didn't have the the guys around him who were pushing him the competition that maybe he needed to to really take his career to the next level but but Jordan seems to have that and like you said you know he's one-footed but he's developed you know the ability to use that left foot he's he's pacey but you know after a couple of injuries uh you know he's he's had to really take his game to a more cerebral level and better positioning and and had to learn how to be something other than just a fast winger who could get in behind and he's done that and just the injuries themselves I mean two ACLs in two years like the fact that he was you know at Swansea and then just you know doesn't even get a full 90 minutes and tears his ACL again you know there was that's the difference I think is he's returned in like record time from that injury and yeah. is already, you know, being called into a national team camp. And when you're a guy like Jordan Morris, you've been out for almost two years pretty consistently to get back into the national team, even if it's, you know, Camp Cupcake, December, January camp, but to still be on the radar, to still be a guy that Bearhalter and others can say, it's worth having a look at him. It's a testament to the work ethic that I think you uh, you explained there as as a, a reason why he is uh, one of your favorite players. But I uh, <clears throat> wanted to get back, so let's let's circle back around to the national team at large. Um, sure. So big fan, uh, 2006, 2010 World Cups being um, pretty uh, important times. I think is. Is the case for a lot of American fans too. Um, I know I certainly got my first taste of, of soccer with the uh, the 2006 World Cup and, and Italy's win, and then in the 2010. I think the moment that I would point to that really made me a big a big soccer fan, and at least a fan of the national team, because I was already interested in soccer, but was Donovan's goal against Algeria. Um, yeah, that, saw that coming from a mile away. <laughs> I mean, how could how did you could you not the the moment the yeah. emotions the the drama of it? So like, uh, what are what are some of your all time you know past present you know moments for the national team? The things that have not just made you a fan but kept you a fan because you know, let's be honest, it has not been easy to be a national team fan for the last four years. So, so what are those moments for you? God, I mean, 
that's obviously one of the biggest moments for me was the <laughs> Algeria goal. Uh, really hard to not say that. Uh, but I just, I just remember that moment so well. I mean, it's probably the biggest goosebumps moment I've had watching soccer in history. I mean, it's just unbelievable that goal and what happened. And after the whole match just seemed like, how is it even possible that we're not leading by goals upon goals right now? And then just finally, right at the end, we get it. And oh, what a moment. Um, and it, actually the, was it, uh, we were playing against Slovakia, correct? Um, yeah, the game so. before that. Yeah. And, uh, that one had a couple just fantastic moments in it too. I remember the second half, the first goal from Donovan just dribbles up himself and just drills it right above the goalie. Just a fantastic goal. And, uh, also a Michael Bradley's goal, Michael Bradley's development in the 2010, uh, world cup was uh, something that really kind of enthralled me as well um, you know at first i think he there was kind of he had the beginning and end controversy of his career he had the beginning which was oh he's only on the team because of his dad and then he had the end controversy which is i mean everybody that's listening to this kind of knows he just people just say he kind of just was on the team for too long it's like oh bradley again Oh, Bradley again. Oh, Bradley again. You know, and it's just like, let's just get somebody new on the team or whatever. I think Bradley's probably final shining moment was that near half field goal against Mexico. You know, what a moment <laughs> yeah. that was. Um, yeah, but no, so I would say time. Algeria probably, it's hard to say that's not number one, to be honest. But, um, you know, another, probably the most exciting. 15 minutes in U.S. men's national soccer team history, in my opinion, was the second half of overtime against Belgium in 2014. I just, I thought we were going to tie that game up or even win the, even win the match. I, I mean, we just played so unbelievably in those 15 minutes. I can't believe we could, we couldn't, we couldn't do it. And, um, you know, I feel that match in general was just so critical in defining the role of two players um, going forward on the U.S. men's national team, uh, that being Howard. I mean, what a match he had. Um, also, Wondolowski, unfortunately, you know, I'm actually a big Wanda fan. I think he's played phenomenally for club. He has a great worth ethic. He, he knows how to score. The guy just knows how to score. Unfortunately, he had the one moment and uh, his career has been haunted because of that, you know, and I think he's unfairly kind of criticized, but that was definitely a big defining moment too. Maybe not in the positive direction like a Donovan's goal against Algeria, but definitely a moment that I remember and just the, yeah, that, that moment just really helped again to... Um, win me over like it's just an emotional moment that just kept me with the team and uh yeah i would say those two moments are probably the most defining moments of my uh, u.s men's national team uh, fandom up until this point yeah absolutely um so that 2014 world cup and man I, i'm sitting in rural montana watching this on some janky streams but yeah, the the diverging uh, 
destinies, I guess, of the the two players you named there. The you know Tim Howard, <clears throat> you know it's yeah. unfortunately his last World Cup, but but that's what sixteen some odd saves at the time, maybe even still a record in a World Cup game, like just showed that this team had something to build off of. And then you've got Wondolowski missing that open net in, in the final minutes, yeah. which would have won the game um, yeah. and sent us past the, the now like, you know, Belgium mega team that we all, you know, see, <laughs> I mean, people forget yeah. like yeah. Christian Benteke comes off the field for a young Romelu Lukaku who between him and Dries Mertens and Eden Hazard are just peppering that goal uh, yeah. all game. And it's like, at the time you're like, man, who, who are even these, <laughs> who's Belgium? Like, why are, why are, <laughs> why are Belgium being called dark horses in this game? And then you yep. obviously you go on to see what they become, but, but just the fact that we were there, like all it would have taken was a tap in from Wondolowski and we're on to the next round. And it's just like, I think in that moment, nobody would have guessed that this United States team was going to fail to qualify for the next one. <laughs> but yep. yeah, yeah. But so, so those are some of your favorite moments. Uh, I completely agree. Um, you know, I think the goal against Algeria maybe stands as, as my all time favorite national team moment, but you know, I think, uh, we talked about it on the podcast before, but, um, in that 2014 world cup, you know, uh, David or <laughs> yeah, uh, Brooks's, uh, header, um, to beat Ghana. Um, and then, the finally. strike yeah finally <laughs> and then the strike um from uh, Jermaine uh to yes. against Portugal that just there's something about the sound of that ball hitting that net that just yeah sends shivers down your spine you're just like it's perfect yeah but yeah so um we've talked a lot about the national team um you know the fandom starts you know at a young age um and and now you're you're living abroad what's it like being a fan of the national team in Europe, like what does what does it even take to be a fan of the national team? Uh, living, I'm assuming, you know, six, seven, eight hours uh, in away, I guess from from the heart of the action. Sucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lonely fandom over there. Um, if anybody wants to come join me in my uh, little uh, city of sixty thousand up in the Alps. Um, feel free because uh, right now what it is is uh, I'll have to wake up at about let's say two in the morning um, you know quickly uh, get some caffeine in me because I know I'm just gonna be up for the rest of the day anyway um, you know watch the uh, watch the match alone in my room in the cold I don't know a single uh, American in the whole city actually so uh, I must say it's pretty lonely in that sense Um Austria as well, I would say with in Western Europe, it's probably the country that values uh, soccer the least. Um, they're more of a winter sport country. So of course oh, they're yeah. famous for their skiing, um, you know, hockey they're really into, uh, which is great. I'm a, I'm a huge hockey fan as well. It's basically soccer on ice in a lot of uh, aspects, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, you know, it's the other weird thing too is you, Americans have a reputation in Europe, you know, it's like, especially when it comes to soccer, 
I don't think anybody wants the U.S. men's national team to become as good as the European teams. Um, you know, it, of course, we we saw each other on Reddit for the first time. And, you know, whenever the American scores, you know, everybody's like, oh, this is this is going to be the biggest, uh, you know, post on Reddit soccer and in, in history because of these Americans, uh, blah, 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 um, you know, post sponsored by McDonald's, etc. Um, you know, I don't think anybody really wants America to be that good. So I, I don't really go around flaunting my, you know, American fandom, especially when I don't know anybody that can flaunt with me. Um, so it's definitely a weird experience. It's a little bit lonely. Um, every now and then I'll try to kind of um, hop in on some sort of a discord community that's watching the match together so that I can kind of associate with them. But you know, one thing that I will say is it's one thing that helps me as much as it's lonely, it's actually kind of something that helps me feel less lonely because I feel more connected to the country where I was born, where I came from. And sometimes, you know, I only moved to Austria a couple of years ago and, you know, I don't have family there yet. Um, you know, my entire family is in the States. Um, most of my best friends are still in the States. Of course, I have some in Austria, but it's kind of a moment where, you know, I wake up really early. I'm alone. Um, you know, none of my, uh, the people I'm sharing an apartment with are awake yet. And I, I kind of feel like it's my moment to reconnect with my home country a little bit and uh, share a moment that's not so lonely so it's kind of a weird uh, it, it all has to do with loneliness i guess wh whichever way you see it um but yeah I, I guess that's you know a long way of saying uh it's it's a weird experience being the only american that i know in my town that is also a big soccer fan yeah yeah it's interesting um you express that and in a sense, it kind of connects you to the community of the national team fans around. You know, you're waking up by yourself in your apartment to watch a game at two or three in the morning. But, but in a sense, you're not alone because you've got all these fans in the United States and probably across the world who are, you know, at least some who are waking up to watch it with you. But um, that that's I think um, the beauty of fandom in general but soccer fandom and national team fandom, because it takes all of, <laughs> I'll say this carefully. It takes all of the, I think best and most redeemable aspects of like nationalism, um, and puts it into a, uh, into a, uh, I'd say like redeemable, acceptable outlet. Right. So, yeah. so rather yeah. than <laughs> being a racist and like, you know, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, trying to like preserve some, uh, unrealistic or imagined sense of national pride with your, you know, heritage or whatever you're doing. So in a silly way with soccer, you know, like, Nobody, nobody really believes the United States is the best team in the world. But when we're beating Mexico two nil in Cincinnati, it feels like it, and we're gonna tell, yeah. we're gonna tell the world that we're the best team in the world, and it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, 
so that's that's a, it's interesting you know everybody i've interviewed on the the podcast so far you know we're all um <laughs> we're all in a little bit of a community together so uh both monty and soren and then greg but you're the first to be interviewed where we didn't know each other prior to this and uh you're the first that has lived outside of the united states and so that was really fascinating uh to hear that your your fandom for the national team lives on even though you live thousands of miles away and you're the only national u.s national team fan around and and i think that's pretty awesome so i wanted to to end the podcast just giving you an opportunity to uh to talk a little bit more about the other fandoms that you have uh, so we spent sure. quite a bit of time on the national team do you have a you have any club loyalties or uh anything like that yeah it's actually a great moment to talk about the club uh, because uh, just recently as a lot of people know uh, conrad de la fuente went to my favorite club uh, which has been marseille for probably about five years now <laughs> Um, I actually studied abroad in Marseille and I went to some matches while I was there and I just really fell in love with the team. Um, it was actually the year when they made it to the finals of the um, UEFA League. And um, I just, I, I don't know if it was so much the actual team that I really liked as much as just the vibe, the fan culture. The stadium is just Stade Velodrome. I, if people haven't seen it, look it up. It's fantastic looking stadium. And uh, it's even better when you're there in person, obviously. Um, and I just I, I just really started falling in love with the team. And I really liked it and uh, been a fan ever since. And, you know, it's very rare when an American comes to Ligue 1. It basically never happens. Um, now we have a couple in Ligue 1, but I think the first... I remember really, at least since I've been watching soccer, was uh, Alejandro Bodoya when he went to Nantes. Um, but, you know, my half of my family is French. So I always had kind of a connection to Ligue 1 and thought it was also kind of hipster to like it because, you know, it's <laughs> of the, let's say, the top leagues in Europe, it's always known as the lesser of the top. You know, it's... Um, the equivalent of uh, George Harrison to the Beatles as, uh, <laughs> you know, to the <laughs> soccer world. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, it's there. It, it has some great moments, but uh, it's not as famous as the other ones. Um, but, yeah, when I heard Conrad de la Fuente was coming to Marseille, I was totally, totally overwhelmed with joy because I was like, wow, I get to I get to watch an American player at Marseille. I mean, that, what are the chances of that? I mean... It's just such such a low chance, but it, it turns out that happened, and he's been playing great there. I mean, it's not just me that's saying that. It's the other Marseille fans as well. Um, you know, he's been a great addition to the team. Um, you know, he started, I think, a little bit better with more of a bang, but it's not to say that, you know, he's been playing poorly recently. It's just that he's been more falling into his kind of, uh, let's say, normal, what he'll be. But... It's great that he's finding success. It's great that he's playing. And, um, you know, just really looking forward and to him staying at Marseille and helping the team and hoping that he won't move on to a different team. And let's say, you know, uh, maybe it'd be better if he's bought from uh, 
PSG for his career, but I don't want that to happen because that always happens. The <laughs> PSG <laughs> is the team that buys everybody from Marseille that turns out to be good. So, um, but yeah, that's yeah. that's my favorite club. Yeah, it's uh, maybe the plight of all league uh, teams is yeah. <laughs> whenever you get a, a good player that is exciting and uh, is maybe worth, you know, really investing in, they just hoover him up. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah it's that's i think one of my issues with liga is just it's so top heavy and honestly the bundesliga is getting that way too it's it's tough to to really i don't know find unless you've got a rooting interest like you do it's really tough as a neutral to get behind a, a league like that because you just know but liga even more so or less so than the bundesliga because at least you have you know, Lille or Monaco that will sprinkle in a, a championship every now and then when PSG don't feel like it. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, hey, that's awesome. Um, getting an American to come to your club is, is great. I'm a Tottenham fan. Um, our last American was DeAndre Yedlin and that didn't go super well. And, and then yeah, the rumors yeah. for like, for about two and a half minutes were that Christian Pulisic was going to come to Tottenham and then obviously went to Chelsea. So that sucks. Yeah um right now or i guess in the the summer maybe we were rumored with weston mckinney which would have been great but that didn't pan out so but now that we've got fabio uh, paradici and conte like who knows maybe maybe he'll bring these italian hand gestures and he'll get weston mckinney to to come on to england who knows but yeah. man uh matt it's been it's been a pleasure to talk to you man um i really do appreciate uh, you being willing to come on the show and um i just real quick I'll give you an opportunity to to plug anything you want your social medias if you if you want somebody to uh to tweet live tweet with during <laughs> during <laughs> early morning national team games if there's any other expats in the uh, in austria uh yeah go ahead plug whatever you want you know um honestly there is uh, pretty much nothing that i would plug uh, i've disconnected myself from social media except for reddit um, Reddit, as you know, is uh, something a lot of people like to remain anonymous on. <laughs> so I will remain anonymous uh, for now. Um, I'll be that mysterious guy that I called in on episode three uh, named Matt. <laughs> um, that weird U.S. men's national fan in Austria that's a Breckshay fan. Um, I'll forever be that mystery. Um, but uh, what I will say is, is if you ever come to uh, Filach, which is the city I'm in in Austria, you'll find me one way or the other. Because uh, <laughs> as I said, two years I've been there. I don't know a single American. And um, if you take about, you know, uh, one week asking around, hey, are there any Americans here? You'll probably find me. So uh, <laughs> come visit. Uh, come join me. Uh, come keep me company in my uh, 2 a.m. watch sessions. And uh, <laughs> I will say, last thing maybe I'll say about that 2 a.m. watch session, um, I am at the advantage for the next World Cup. Just letting that's you know that. True. I am in the time zone that's a lot closer. You're going to be the one that's having to get up at 2 a.m. And not me for once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not envious of that, especially since it's not going to be during the summer. Uh, when maybe I would have a little bit more time to, you know, not sleep. Um, and so I yeah. do envy you, but 
if uh, if we're ever in Austria, maybe the Breckshay spidey senses will tingle and we'll be able to just <laughs> intuit where the other one is. So, Matt, yes, I, I thank you again uh, for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, we will uh, see you later. Wonderful. I want to thank Matt once again for coming on the show. I found the conversation to be pretty entertaining. It's not every day you get to talk about Breck Shea and Jordan Morris and living in Austria. Uh, I appreciate his willingness to talk about what it's like to live abroad and support the national team, even if it is uh, by yourself in a lot of situations. It is the community of soccer fandom that uh, interests this podcast and Matt was a great example of what it's like to maybe be alone as a fan but not really alone because he gets to support the national teams even if he's thousands of miles away with literally thousands of other uh, people so thanks again Matt and uh, as always thank you for listening to the show We would love to interview you. If you're interested in sharing your story on the podcast, just email me at contactfanamerica at gmail.com and tell me a little bit about your soccer story and we'll get you scheduled. So I look forward to talking to you all again soon. As always, keep on supporting, keep on being a fan and uh, keep on listening.